Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 16, Spacesuits. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So if you're new to the show, this is where we bring in NASA experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to tell you the coolest parts about what's going on here at NASA. So Alleyoop on Twitter is asking if we can do an episode on spacesuits. Well, thanks for your suggestion, Alleyoop. Let's do it. Today we're talking spacesuits with Les Padilla. He's the EMU hardware manager at the NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. And that just means he manages the hardware on those classic white spacesuits you see when you uh, think about astronauts. We had a great discussion about how those spacesuits work, what they're made of, how they've evolved over time, and what they'll look like in the future. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Mr. Les Padilla. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit correct. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. <laughs> I like to explain to others, I feel like a kid in a candy store when they ask about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it is awesome both to see the past, where it came from, and the future designs where we may be headed towards. That's right. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All of those things. All so right. I hope you, I see you have like a large binder of notes. It's actually one page, it's fine. But um, yeah, so we're going to talk about it all today. Uh, so, first of all, spacesuits. Let's start from like the overarching, like, what is a spacesuit? Why do you need a spacesuit? I think the closest thing that I've been described is like, think of it like, um, like a spaceship that's shaped like a human body. Is that is that kind of right? That's a fantastic description right there. Cool. A lot better and a lot shorter <laughs> than I could have said it. <laughs> uh, okay, so what are they? What how like why why a spacesuit? Why do we need that? Why can't we just use a fancy spacecraft with like arms on it or something like that? Yeah, so at, uh, at some point, people before us decided we want to go to space. And then after that, they decided going to space wasn't enough. We want to go extravehicular, outside mm. the space, whatever spaceship it is, from shuttle to station to before those Mercury missions, mm-hmm. all the way in the early days. And this space suit, the purpose of it is to be a sort of, as you said, a miniature aircraft, but allows mobility flexibility, maneuverability, so that a crew member can move around whether they're doing work or just experiencing the environment out there. Like in the early days of, um, <clears throat> uh, the earlier days in Gemini when they went out the door. That's that right, just, white. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> you got it. Just experiencing the environment, did not want to come back in. Yeah. Uh, or later days, uh, even where we are right now with the International Space Station, where there's maintenance activities and there is a uh, We've already completed the assembly, so it's, mo- it's maintenance activities where we're at. We need to be able to go out there and do more than just fly around and enjoy the scenery. We need to be able to turn bolts. We need to be able to pull out large batteries and put them back in. And so you need something that has offers dexterity and yet uh, protection from the very harsh space environment. You know, we just saw that because we just did the um, uh, spacewalk the other day, right? That was the second of three planned ones, and uh, that was when they were putting on some of the shields and everything. Absolutely. And uh, they did some robotic work, right, with the station's robotic arm. They took the pressurized mating adapter, moved it to a new place, but they needed human hands to actually Attached to actually like connect the cables mm-hmm. and and actually put on the shield, so it makes sense, right? You need the suits because there's just some things that just robots can't do, I guess, right? Yeah, not not yet, not where we are today. Right. You can't go to the space without EVA. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so uh, 
like uh, go back back to Ed White and and, and Gemini. That was uh, the first one was oh no, I had oh I just had it. I want to say June nineteen sixty five. There it is. There it okay. is. <laughs> All right, yeah. Uh, he he came out and they actually used uh, like the air gun to move yes. around and uh, you know super famous video of watching him just dr- like drift out and he has the umbilical and he's got the air. So what was the I gotta ask, what is the point of that air gun thingy? And then why do we not see anyone use those anymore? Yeah, great question. Yeah. And so uh, there's probably people wiser and more experienced <laughs> that have extra details on that, but at a high general level, it's just directional control. Mm-hmm. So you're out there in space, there is, we call it, we say no gravity. There is some gravity, but it's mm-hmm. microgravity, very right. low. And for all intents and purposes, you're free falling towards the earth Mm -hmm. and so unless you're holding on to a handrail or your vehicle itself you will continue to float in the gravitational pull that circles the earth and begin to bring you down so as soon as you go out that door you've got to have a way it could be a tether or rope to pull you back in but a way to maneuver around the area you want to go and so the air gun provides a small propulsion capability Ah. to navigate okay makes a lot of sense so Okay, they're going out and they're using the air gun, but now I guess they have, it took them a while, right, during the Gemini, that, that was kind of a lot of the point of the Gemini program was to figure out how to do stuff like this, right, right. and how to do right. space rendezvous and how to do spacewalks. It took them a while, right, so that was Gemini 4 was when uh, Ed White came out, and then it wasn't until Gemini 12, Buzz Aldrin had put in some procedures for uh, neutral buoyancy laboratory training where they actually train in the water to mm-hmm. see how they can move around because everyone was getting sort of tired when they were going out because they didn't they didn't have the procedures yet and then they finally nailed it for for gemini 12 right yeah yes uh, spacewalks are tough yeah. tough jobs it made the astronauts are just amazing the way they make they do work so seamlessly and as trained professionals they make it seem easy but inside those suits because i've seen the suits come out there's a lot of sweat in there there's a lot of hard work that goes on uh for those astronauts and it, it is not easy. And as you said, training on the ground is pivotal to right. be able to make those uh, activities look seamless on orbit. Yeah, I'm totally not following the script right now. But, I, I mean, so the MBL training that they do, that they, they do it in the neutral buoyancy laboratory, super big pool. Yes. They have, com- like, uh, one-to-one scale mock-ups of the outside of the International Absolutely. Space Station. So when they actually go up there... And they, you know, well, in the in the neutral buoyancy laboratory, they train in a spacesuit pretty mm-hmm. much, and so they know exactly how it feels and where things are, and they know how to move from place to place and use proper tools. Because because once you're out there, like you got to know kind of what you're doing and what to expect, because you might encounter some hurdles, and there have been some hurdles in the past. There have been absolutely yeah. on that neutral buoyancy lab. I mean, you're right; they actually train in a spacesuit that is almost exactly like the ones they fly in. Mm-hmm. Small, subtle, uh, small little differences like the the white backpack which is the engine of the spacesuit the right. primary life support system in the neutral buoyancy lab it is just a hollow shell and we have umbilicals that you know long hoses that supply the the air and the power to the suit right um, and the tools will have things that are changed on them to make them more neutral buoyant so they'll float in water and don't sink directly down to the bottom of the pool mm-hmm. but overall it is as you pointed out just like uh, the flight hardware and the, the suits are very similar to what they use on orbit so they can train and be prepared. Because mm-hmm. as you noted on, there is no go out the door and 
I'm not quite sure what I'm doing yeah. here. Let's go in and plan it another day. Figure it out. Oh, I can't do it. I guess we'll come out again. Because, yeah, it takes a long time, right? I mean, I was I was listening to Shane the other day because he, he just landed a right. couple days ago at the time of this recording. And um, he was saying, you know, it takes hours of prep prep work beforehand, right? Like four hours. they got to pre-breed. they got to do all these things, put on the suit. And then they go out, and it's another seven-ish hours sure. that they're out there. Then they come back, and then they have a two-hour, like, debrief. I mean, that's a long day. He called it one of the most challenging especially physically and mentally challenging sure. things about about flying space yeah i can imagine and especially i mean that's what they train for right in the that's neutral right. buoyancy laboratory they do like six hour runs or something yeah. like that kind of the same they do some prep work beforehand but they get used to it and they do a lot of that training so i've never been obviously out the door in space uh, i've never <laughs> been an astronaut in that aspect but gary I don't, one of the best ways that i've uh i guess can describe what you just said is have you ever gone skydiving I have all one right. time. Yes, then one you know. Time. So the stimuli when you make that decision of all right, I'm about to get out of a perfectly good airplane, and yeah. you go out, just everything going on. It is the first time you go. It's very hard to concentrate. Oh yeah. You know, it's kind of good with that tandem thing. The guy telling you, look at your altimeter. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine free falling like that for seven hours straight, while having to do maintenance work on the space station and watch you know your display control module on your EMU and listen to people on the ground and inside the station and that's just a shadow of the difficulty the, the job that those guys do okay well when I went out the door for whenever I went skydiving my legs went weak and I was had the, <laughs> the guy strapped to my back and he had to like push forward to the end of the door and actually like push me out he did the whole like instead of you know we're gonna go out on three that's one right. two and then we went yep. out so I was like I was totally weak but I can't even imagine because my heart dropped on that first run and then it was thrilling for a while but I mean everything happens so fast but and now like you said take that and then stretch it over that's a right. super long period I can I can only imagine Okay, so let's let's take a step back and let's go back to kind of where I was originally supposed to go. Uh, but um, talking about spacesuits and first of all, you know, why do you need it? You, sure. you know, you need the dexterity, obviously, but the, there's a human aspect to that, right? You can't Absolutely. just oh you know what, something's broken on the outside, let's just go out the hatch and go torque it, you know, torque it, what am I saying? Uh, torque it with a wrench or something yeah. and, and fix it. Um, that you know you need like you said uh you hinted at life support uh, a while back with the backpack so so you know what's what's it about this may seem a bit obvious of a question but what's it about space that the human body cannot just go out and and do tasks in sure and you know i think most people could tell you that space yeah it's a dangerous environment but why is it as we're getting at well the spacesuit provides the capability to regulate temperature hmm. you know and the low earth orbit as we call it where the international space station is mm -hmm. temperature ranges during eva days can swing from negative 148 degrees so that's 148 degrees fahrenheit below zero mm. up to 248 degrees uh, and those are estimates they can be higher or lower but that's a huge window that the human anatomy was not designed to work within yeah. without protection I feel like Houston, Texas can get up to about positive 248 degrees, but Fair I know enough. it's I know it's not even close. But, but not right. negative 148 though. No, not even no, no, not even 148 to me. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. That's that's intense. So what? I mean, how does how does the spacesuit protect from that? From the negative, the extreme negative and positive temperatures. Yeah. So there's a a lot of planning up front. Yeah. In choosing days that 
Uh, we go EVAs, we call it extravehicular, extravehicular activities, spacewalks. We try to stay away from those acronyms, <laughs> but yes, yes, spacewalks. We right. choose special days that <laughs> have the least impact, uh, more habitable conditions, okay. a better way to put it. Uh, but at the end of the day, even on the best days, temperature swings when the sun's looking at you to when the sun's uh, behind the station are large swings that can be 100 degrees and so that's where the spacesuit comes into play mm -hmm. and the spacesuit was designed to to work in these environments there are the outer layer is white because it reflects heat I mean, ah. little simple things like that okay now you know why the spacesuits are white there you there go, you go. <laughs> uh, whereas if it was black it would absorb the heat get a lot hotter quicker make it hard for the performance of the suit and the individual inside. Mm -hmm. um, the multiple insulation layers on the, on the suit itself, there are seven layers of insulation within the outer layer of the, of the spacesuit. Oh. Um, and without getting into to details, those are specifically to reflect heat and protect the crew members and keep in the proper environment heat that's necessary inside the suit. Okay. So it may be hot out there, but when that sun goes behind station, it gets very cold. That crew member wants a certain amount of heat kept within that spacesuit. I would think so, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Negative 140 um, is pretty cold. But lower levels of that spacesuit is the bladder itself, and that gets into one of the next important aspects of the suit is providing an oxygen environment. Right. You've got to be able to breathe in space, um, and there is a 100% oxygen environment inside the suit. And as, as Gary knows and talked about, I think, briefly before, 100% mm -hmm. oxygen environment is, is not natural. Right. It's not, how, not what we experience down here in uh, ambient or one atmos atmosphere pressure where we get, uh, was it 78% nitrogen? Nitrogen, yeah. And, and a little bit of carbon dioxide. Yeah, just yeah, a tiny yeah, bit? Just a tiny bit. Okay. Tiny bit. <laughs> uh, but when, when the lower pressure inside the suit, the suit pressure is 4.3 PSI uh -huh. when, we go, when we go on spacewalks. And that's about the, temp the pressure we feel here on Earth? The pressure we feel here on Earth is 14.7. Whoa, okay, yeah. so a little bit lower. So almost a third, a wow. third, almost close to a third, a fourth of that. Okay, so what, what what would that feel like? What's the next comparable thing of what 4 PSI would feel like to like us here on Earth? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, hard that, to compare, that's, right? a, that's a tough one because I've been inside of a suit, so I, I know what it feels like, but I haven't been inside something else that has that 4 PSI of, of pressure that I could do a one-for-one -one comparison of. I would say putting multiple gloves on. Oh, okay. Yeah, Multiple so it's really on. strenuous on your hands. It, 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 it absolutely. Okay. Uh, when you're out compared to a near zero pressure environment like the space is, mm -hmm. 4.3 is, it's fatiguing. You have pressure on your hands, your body to move. You have 4.3 pounds of pressure over all of your body that yeah. you're working against. Pretty stiff. That, that is. Yeah, yeah. Compare that to the uh, Russian Orlon, their suit, that's 5.8 PSI. That's wow. even more difficult. Wow. You compare that to some other space suits that we've looked at in the past that are even higher pressure, and you can see why it gets, we need low PSI. Hmm. And so 4.3 is not perfect with zero resistance, but it's a nice sweet spot that our crew members are able to work and those that have ran in both the Russian suit and the American space suit have said, yeah, it's a lot easier, this 4.3 PSI. Okay. Yeah. But that drives us to why the oxygen's at 100%. At that lower pressure, right. we need the 100% oxygen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's how you counter, you know, we're in the 14-something PSI yep. here. So lower oxygen concentration. Lower oxygen. Okay. Yes. That makes it. And that, that 
brings us back to the pre-breathing that we kind of alluded to earlier. Yes, you need sir. to kind of purge your body of nitrogen. Is that that's, that's why? right? Okay, that's right. Otherwise, the oxygen toxicity is the concern if you uh, don't go through that pre-breathe protocol. Okay. All right. Well, awesome. That explains why you need the pressure that you do. Okay. But I guess if you were to drop it any lower, it would kind of it would be a little bit hazardous to your health, right? Like 4.3 is probably the sweet spot? 4.3 is a sweet spot with uh, what our current spacesuit is certified to. Uh, oh. You can adjust it different ways. I mean, it's kind of like uh, if you change the pressure, now you got to play with the oxygen. you got to play with what is the suit capabilities at that level. Mm-hmm. 4.3 is the perfect sweet spot for what this suit is certified for. Ah, I see. Oh, which is doing work on the outside of the International Absolutely. Space Station. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so, you know, you're outside. You, we alluded to the fact that we're in low Earth orbit, right? It means we're in the microgravity environment. Tiny yes. bit of gravity, not too much. Is it fair to say a little bit of atmosphere, too? Just like tiny, tiny, tiny bit? bit. Yeah, yeah, that's why we need to boost the station every once yes. in a while. It's like a tiny little bit of drag. But drag. How, much of, um, how much are we protected from the Earth's, I guess, magnetic sphere? Um, you know, how much of, do we have to worry about radiation at that altitude? Yeah, no, it's... Uh, Absolutely, great question, and it's a great concern. Yeah. There's a reason that crew members are limited for how long they can stay up on the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the players in there is the health themselves. Radiation, um, I mean, I guess the most high-level way to describe it is subatomic particles that are you know, supercharged. We get from the sun, we get from outside the, uh, our Milky Way galaxy, and that can come in, and they just tear right through your DNA. Mm-hmm. and that can be acute if there's large doses of radiation, which fortunately aren't a concern where we work in the low Earth or- orbit. Uh-huh. Uh, but over a long-term exposure, it could be chronic effects that, when you rearrange the DNA, could lead to cancer or other diseases. So it's very serious. We absolutely we have a team dedicated to radiation, uh, making sure we protect our crew members. The spacesuit is designed to provide some level of protection when they're out there for that limited spacewalk. Uh, in the International Space Station. The space station itself and is uh, also designed to protect the crew members from certain levels of radiation hmm. that we get from solar solar wind from the sun. Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, so I guess, you know, that the suit is designed for for what, you know, for that purpose? For that purpose of limited spacewalks. Okay, yeah. well, um, so how is that different from you know, other, I guess, extravehicular suits. You know, the, the the suit itself has evolved over time, right? But I, you know, I heard, I think it's, you know, the technology is sort of adapted from 1970s technology and then they just made it a little bit better, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so you have, um, I mean, we can go right through them. You have the, uh, <laughs> all the way back from the um, Mercury suits, uh-huh. the first ones we went up there with inside the Mercury and those were completely designed for hey the crew member staying inside this vehicle but in case we have cabin depressurization we need the guys to have a suit so they can exist for hopefully a period of time to get the cabin back pressurized Uh those were early suits even step before that we had pressurized suits for our uh for pilots or balloonists that were going high altitude. Right. Um, yeah, and we still do, right? Absolutely. We have pilots uh, over at Ellington Field here in Texas that uh, wear those pressurized suits for the WB-57s, those high altitude yep. planes. Yep. So they're, I guess, are they technically in space at that altitude? I think they are, right? Sixty. Is it 60 miles that is like you're technically in space? You're getting beyond my knowledge here. <laughs> I don't want to get a lot. Someone may be listening. You hear, you hear things, but yeah. 
but I know they do wear the, the suits and they have to and they have to do the whole like you Absolutely. know same things the astronauts do they have to pre-breathe and all and all that kind of stuff but yeah so um, that's where spacesuits you know started from that was right. the first stepping stone was high altitude flying yeah so I guess those mercury suits that you were talking about is that where kind of the launcher and entry suits kind of went towards was was you know if whenever you're launching in a spacecraft you have to wear a specific suit in case of that right sure. sudden depressurization is that is that like the reason I, I so absolutely the mercury suit was uh you know that's the we stand on the shoulders of those who designed that mercury suit yeah. and the next suit with gemini the after that and the next one after that and all the way to apollo yes absolutely do those provide uh data and insight towards the aces suit Mm. Um, or the launch and entry suits that we're now working on for next vehicles. Oh, right. So, yes, data from those suits was pivotal to make our current launch and entry suits. Um, I mean, one of the most, uh, the Gemini suit that came after the Mercury, that was the one that Ed White went out EVA in. Yeah. That's the most uh, polarizing or one of the most well-known ones that you'll see in a lot of the old movies with sure. the aluminized nylon outer covering where it's yeah. all shiny and a lot of <laughs> zippers here and there. Chrome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every movie that ever had a science fiction related to it, my parents watched. I remember seeing the shiny suits. Yeah. And so that's Gemini. Yeah. To set the tone on that. And the reason for the shiny suits was they were in that time with the – we had a lot of data, uh, but a, the big concerns were thermal and radiation, as we were talking on earlier. Mm -hmm. And so you see that aluminized material on that Gemini suit early on, you know, because they really wanted to make sure, hey, our guys are protected and – Yes. So they went all out. As we got more data and we figured out what we needed and where we needed to grow in and where we didn't need so much, you saw that aluminized, shiny aluminum outer uh, nylon. It, it it went away. Right. So. Yeah. Now, now we see the the white, the white suit. Yeah. You got it. All right. Yeah. yeah. And then we saw the white, the famous white ones, like on the moon, walking mm -hmm. on the surface the of the moon. The Apollo suits. The Apollo suits. Yeah. And then we uh, now we have the white suits on the International Space Station that That's we right. use all the time. So um, kind of going through a little bit of the features of those suits. I wanna. I've always wanted to know, like, whenever you look at a spacesuit, first thing I think your eyes go to is that shield, that sure. gold shield. What is that? Yeah, so the the I think the term is goldized. Ooh, yes. goldized. I yeah, like that. <laughs> that gold visor is basically very fancy sunglasses. Cool. So the visor itself is a Lexan material that you'll find in some of your um, household goods. Um, it hmm. it is specifically to protect the crew member's eyes from uh, from the sun. Okay. And so there's a gold a gold sheet that goes over that. It has great characteristics in blocking harmful UV rays and other rays that would come from the sun and help the astronaut continue to be able to work in that uh, spacewalk environment. Mm -hmm. so. But they can uh, kind of pull it up right during Absolutely. nighttime. Absolutely, it's kind of it's like sunglasses, or yeah. right if you're if you walk from the outside to inside and it's suddenly dark, you take your sunglasses off. So it's kind of like sure. They got a cool knob on the side of the helmet. You yeah. just flip that visor up, and what's really neat is there are opaque visors on the side that we, we rarely see in pictures. Right. Uh, most pictures, you want to see the, the face or at least the cool gold visor, but there are completely opaque white visors that can cover maybe if the sun's on your right side, you can yeah. block on the right or the left or halfway down the front. And then the gold visors you pointed up can completely cover your face if full sun or partially or just completely remove it altogether. Slides back behind the helmet bubble underneath. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'm thinking about the picture of, uh, I want to say it's uh, on Apollo 17, right, where you have the, it's I think it's Gene Cernan, I think, uh, posing, and then he has two of those opaque visors ah, down on the moon. I'm with you. Yep. Yeah, and he's yep. got the earth behind him or something. Yeah, you got it. You I'm got thinking it. about that picture right now. So if you don't know that picture, go, go look, look that one up because <laughs> that 
that's what he's talking about with those opaque visors. It's yes. like those white shields that come down yes. on the sides. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and the Apollo suits are the first suits with that uh, famous fishbowl-type helmet. And oh. what I mean by that, if you look at your earlier suits, they have round visors that are that are fixed, but they're more oval or smaller in shape, so it's limited view. Uh, in the Apollo suits, and you'll see it on the current suits on the station, mm-hmm. you have the full fish fishbowl helmet, so you can almost have a complete view side to side in front, a little above, limited below by the neck ring, but mm-hmm. a much bigger field of view from the Apollo and the current suits we have and today. that sounds like the perfect reason to do it, right? So they learned. They said, I, I would like to have a bigger field of view, so they designed the helmet, and okay, now I can see a lot yeah. more. Um, so let's think. Um, I think one of the things that I always want to ask um, is, I'm sure you're outside doing a spacewalk for hours, right? Your nose has to get itchy, right? Oh, man, how do you my itch nose your... would get itchy. <laughs> <laughs> how do you like? What if you just feel like an itch? Like, where do you where do you go? Yeah. So uh... <laughs> don't they have like they have like Velcro or something like hard Velcro they can so, scrap their nose on or something? So there are there's something called a, a Valsalva. Hmm. Uh, it's a strange name, but it's kind of a without getting too deep in details, it's a foam block that's fixed inside the helmet oh. on the neck ring. Okay. Now the purpose of this item that's called a Valsalva <laughs> is for when you're going through pre-breathe when and when you're pressurizing the suit before going out the door, like when you're going up an airplane, one step back and uh, cabin starts pressurizing, your ears can pop. That's uncomfortable mm-hmm. for us flying on a plane and especially for someone inside of a spacesuit. Uh, only they can't grab their nose and blow the air out to press, to equal the pressurization. Mm-hmm. So they have these valsalvas that can fit on their nose and they can kind of serve the purpose of blocking the n- nasal passage so that they can make sure their ears don't pop. You know, oh. So you can swallow or you can push down your nose on this block to... Uh, uh, equalize the pressure in there and all that long story to say <laughs> if you can reach your nose down there and scratch it on that block that could be an option otherwise you're out of luck yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's I didn't even think about that like I was thinking about you know itching your nose but of course like what if your ears have to pop now you have yeah. the thing to, to do that too absolutely that's pretty cool like you said earlier it's through these uh, generations of suit evolution they've learned along the way with great crew feedback of hey we need this yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you have, you've been doing space, you know, the first spacewalk was, uh, we said in 1965. That's right. So, you know, you have a lot to learn from since the mid 60s to to now, obviously. Uh, So what about like, I mean, again, thinking about you're outside for that long. When do you eat? Do you eat beforehand? Like right beforehand? Like before, after the pre-breathe? Like I'm, I would just get so hungry. I have to eat like every two or three hours. I'm with you, Gary. That, that's probably <laughs> the only reason we're not astronauts. You know, we've got to eat every two or three hours. That would Honestly, I, everything else I qualify that's for, right, but yeah. obviously. Same thing but here, of course. I have to eat every two, three hours, so I can't. <laughs> so that, I would say that's crew member specific. Uh, where you see is, I don't know about you, but if when I would run marathons, I had friends that could eat a burger before a marathon with no problem. That's not this guy. Not this not guy this either. Guy. No way. <laughs> and so same thing with crew members. You have yeah. some that, you know, they have a lot of time earlier on where it's recommended do not eat past this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some that will eat right up along that barrier, and there are some that will stop eating way before that because naturally – when you eat, not only does it supply energy to your body, but it also causes normal bodily functions as well, hmm. which leads into another discussion. Uh. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's let's go into that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So seven hours again. You're out there for a long time. 
you gotta you gotta go to the bathroom what, what do right. they do yeah that's a call that uh you, you have to answer and so uh, right uh, right unfortunately as we said earlier when you're out in a, a spacewalk you can't just say you know hey john i'm gonna head inside and hit the john you know you're you're stuck out there for the duration oh yeah and, and every moment is planned right so that's you, right you, you can't you yeah you have to just do your thing yes absolutely and so there is no toilet inside the suit they have um an acronym would be the MAG, and it's uh, it's it's basically an absorption garment. And Is M maximum? You got it. My All right, friend. you maximum. got it. You got it. <laughs> Bring that absorbency up to maximum. So it, it's basically a very large pins diaper. Okay. That they'll, that they'll wear during these spacewalks. Now I can tell you, anyone who's been inside the suit has zero desire to use that diaper. I yes, I can. I can absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But every single one of them is glad it's there if they get that call yes yeah, yeah. okay yeah I, <laughs> I could totally see that and there's water too in the suit in case you get thirsty absolutely yeah. uh, same thing with the marathon you've got to have hydration right and so they have uh what they call disposable in-suit drink bags mm-hmm. sits right here on the chest actually velcros to the uh, liquid and cooling ventilation garment which is how they get the coolant inside the suit ah. uh, over 300 feet of little tubes run over their entire body that can provide warm or cool water that the crew member can adjust as they as they prefer on a temperature control valve right it's in like, the front of the suit. It's like a space version of air conditioning. That's right. Yes. Little or thermostat heat. right yeah, there. Just a twist knob instead Oop, of digital. I'm too cold. I'm just going to turn the heat up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Cool. Well, sitting on top of that is that bag with water. Yeah. And they'll take out 32-ish ounces of water okay. as suits them. Okay. All right. All right. So they have uh, a lot of the things that they need. Obviously, you have to plan for that if you're going to go out for in space for that long. That makes a lot of sense um so let's see uh how much do they weigh that's a big question right uh, big question and and big weight yeah uh, so every suit this emu or here i am with acronyms again the space suit that <laughs> our crew yeah. members use our right. u.s crew members use is you know it's designed to fit from the fifth percentile up to the 95th percentile of, of men and women oh and so with that you have certain components that are interchangeable and do not change uh, was that what I mean by that is like the hard upper tor- torso picture the torso of the suit yes <clears throat> you've got three sizes and the uh, and the majority of crew members might use a large for example and they share that large in between but all the pieces that connect to the suit the arms the gloves the boots those can adjust in sizing and so if it's a smaller size it's going to weigh less if it's a larger size it'll weigh more but overall the average weight of a of a space suit itself is about 270 pounds wow yeah. Okay. That's, That's pretty heavy. Well, on Earth, right? So it's got some weights. How how would that? How would I guess three hundred pounds in space would be not so hard to move around, right? I guess you're in the microgravity environment, but like we we're talking about earlier, it's that pressure. It's the it's sure. the pressure inside where you have the gloves and you're trying to squeeze your hands, and that's kind sure. of the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Our our what can be our friend at time is uh, <laughs> momentum uh, oh, yeah. or inertia, and that can be a that can be an enemy at times as well when you're in that micro environment. Mm-hmm. So crew members are trained specifically to go slow along space station. If you get 300 pounds moving, it can be difficult to stop. Now they can stop it, but it's just wasted energy. Mm-hmm. So they go very slowly so they don't get that 
large mass moving too quickly. I would assume it also helps with um, conserving energy too, right? right? So not only do you conserve, you make sure you can have controlled movement and you're, you're going the right pace and you don't fly everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, using that limited amount of energy because you're carrying everything with you, right? When That's we're talking right. about the neutral buoyancy laboratory, you have umbilicals that hook up to all the oxygen, all the, you know, everything you want, but you only have a limited amount with you because t- it's like backpacking, but Absolutely. in space and, and in, with a lot more technology. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But yeah, so you really have to conserve. You have to make sure you have a limited amount of oxygen, so you have to breathe like slowly. Make sure you're mm-hmm. not your heart rate's not going up. You're calm Great point. when you're doing it. Yeah. Okay. Because I remember, uh, I remember, you know, listening when we were uh, on the EVA doing the EVA. Like I was saying, the spacewalk. Yeah, there I there go with go the with your acronyms. Acronyms. Right. Um We were doing the spacewalk just a, a couple weeks ago, and um, yeah, they were saying, you know, you got to make sure you take your time and 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 when you're moving around because you're out there for. What plan six and a half? It can go up to seven. That's right. it, like the last one was seven, uh, seven hours four minutes. It can go up to eight, and I think the longest spacewalk ever was almost nine. Mm-hmm. Right? It was like six hours fifty-two minutes or something like that. It was so close. That's it's right. a long time to be out there, and you got to make sure you're conserving that energy. Um, so, let's talk about. We, we, you briefly mentioned that you know this is what the EMU is meant to do. And we were talking about, you know, you're certified to do this, that, that. What, what are, what's happening now to design future suits, you know, especially not because the International Space Station is going to be there for the next, hopefully, decade, I would, sure. I, would I think. But um, after that, you know, we're talking about deep space. We're talking about right. planetary exploration. What needs to change about the suit to, to meet those needs? Yeah, and so we have a lot of data on mm-hmm. what needs to change, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of data that we don't know yet. Right, because we haven't gotten Haven't been there. <laughs> that, that's right. And so like yeah. the pioneers with the high altitude flying found, uh, hey, my suit is only designed to go up at 5,000 feet, and now I'm at 40,000 feet. I think I'm reaching that envelope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, you need new materials. You need uh, new vehicles. We're going to find out the same thing with the suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do know is that the current spacesuit that serves fantastically at the International Space Station is not a planetary suit. Mobility mm. will be an issue. It is not meant to walk in right. a, in a in a gravity environment. Uh, things we'll have to look into is even the Apollo suit, which was lighter, a little more flexible, uh, had some design characteristics to allow the crew members to stoop down and pick up rocks where the current suit couldn't. Right. Uh, even that suit, there was you know learning opportunities there where they didn't expect the amount of dust. Right, dirt that would come in and get inside all the seals, and it sounds minor, but cleanliness is uh, it can be a catastrophic. It could have catastrophic results if you don't have a certain level of cleanliness. That's right. They're tiny little. That's right. Things. If they get inside sealing surfaces, you may have a leak, and a leak is something that you do not want. Right. Uh, when you're out <laughs> doing a spacewalk. Yeah. So uh, there are. The short answer is our current suits are certified for the low Earth environment from radiation requirements mm-hmm. to thermal requirements to you really don't need mobility in your lower half. You just need your upper body able to move. Makes your, sense. Remember, your hands are some of the most important uh, tools that you have on space station. Your feet and legs are near useless. They get a little bit of use, but not a yeah. whole lot. Well, planetary suits, we're going to need legs and feet. We're going to need to use them a lot. Definitely. Uh, as you were hitting on earlier, yeah, the lunar activities were only for a couple of days, mm-hmm. but if we go to Mars and if we land on Mars, we're going to be out there for for a lot more than a couple of days. So we yeah. need a suit that's robust enough to support those requirements. Okay, so I have 
I'm sure you've seen the movie The Martian, right? I have. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's it a is. good movie. Um, so in that one, when we talked about a planetary suit, they had those like skin tight <sighs> kind of orange things. They look super awesome cool. suit. Yeah, they looked awesome. But then you know, in when they were up orbiting Mars and they had that whole I don't want to in case anyone spo- um, has seen alert. it. Which if you haven't seen it, wh- what's wrong with you? You need to see it. <laughs> um, but they had when they were orbiting Earth, they had the the EMU, right? They had that sure. big white suit, and then it got a little tighter skin tight is there is there a chance that maybe a planetary suit would be skin tight or do you need those extra layers so yeah great question mm-hmm. it depends on what planet we go to okay i mean if you hit on earlier that there's a little bit of atmosphere in the low earth orbit that protects the station to a certain extent and causes drag mm-hmm. well on mars there's atmosphere as well whereas other planets or 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 other moons around other planets that maybe in the future we look at going to will have near zero atmosphere. That's mm. where you need the multiple layers, like in our EMU right now, is okay. when you have that very minimal atmosphere. Okay. Uh, the Mars, I, we should have more of an atmosphere. What you want there, where we may get to more multiple layers, is if we need a, if the technology is not available to have robustness in a skin-tight suit, then you'll get the multiple layers. Oh, because okay. obviously you don't want to suit this in a wear out and get a hole sooner, and oh, then you're yeah. in trouble out there. Right. But absolutely, those skin tight suits like Matt Damon had in The Martian, yeah. and and there's even been some played around with here in the in the U.S. that we've done some studies for van suits. Those are by far preferred in the aspects of of mobility. You can move around in those a lot easier without getting pain or abrasion from multiple layers rubbing on you. You mm-hmm. mentioned backpacking earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had couple pairs of jeans on at one time and then a number of shirts on and then a backpack you're gonna get blisters and there's gonna be pain in place you don't want to feel that (laughs) that's the trade-off for you know if you get a suit with a lot of layers of uh, insulation and whatnot and then you try to walk distances right that's gonna be very uncomfortable yeah if they do they'll probably have to do short evas but that's right our spacewalks or a lunar rover oh that's where the rover comes in so i've seen i've seen they have um they have one here at the johnson space space center called the sev it's like a it's like an analog they see you know this is and it looks very much like the one that was in the martian in fact the martian kind of copied us but that's fine um but (laughs) okay with that (laughs) In the back, they had um, they had suits on the outside. Yes, there's a reason for that, right? Yes, and that was that dust thing that you were talking about. Uh, A little bit. Yes, yes, that absolutely plays into it. Okay. One of the uh, one of the cool things about the current suit we have today is that just a large percentile of individuals that can fit into it. Maybe not perfectly, but they can get inside that suit, small or large, and go out and do an EVA. Whereas the other suits that are fixed in sizing. I'm going to use, it, it's obviously the Orlon has been great for many years. Not mm-hmm. hitting on it all, just showing some differences. Right. It, you can't change the hut size, and you either have a 37-inch oh, yeah, to 44-inch chest, and you can fit in there, or you can't. It's, uh, it, and, and so there, there's great things about that. One of the bad things about the EMU suit where those, uh, is that you don't get a lot of shoulder movement. And it's a lot longer to get in when you have to put the suit together. On the ground with tech support, it, we can get them in there in 45 minutes. When they're on orbit, it's difficult to slide up inside that hard upper torso. All right, now i got to put my gloves on and helmet on. Now i got to put pants on. Yeah. I, I explain it in 20 seconds. Those guys are taking over an hour with help, professionally trained people, to get inside that suit. Right. So you hit on that suit on the back of the vehicle. It opens up inside that vehicle you can crawl into the suit from inside your vehicle without having to depressurize mm-hmm. the whole vehicle close that hatch on the suit and then walk right off the back of the vehicle sweet 
pretty neat. <laughs> That's awesome. But you're right. And then you have a size. You have a size thing to consider because you don't have that adjustable yeah. features of the of the EMU that's on that's on that's station right. right now. But since the EMU is designed, there is technology that's allowed us to very quickly adjust the size um, on some of those fixed suits that formerly we couldn't. So that's not an issue today, although it was in the '80s when we designed the EMU. Right. Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. Okay, one more question, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, so we talked about the Martian in those skin-tied suits, yes. but there was one scene in there that um, he was kind of floating around. And, and well, okay, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but basically he had to – he had to – I hear spoiler. <laughs> okay, if you uh, – if you, have, if you haven't seen The Martian yet, turn off the podcast. I'll give you three seconds. One, two, three. Okay, so he pokes a hole in his glove on the outside, and he's going to propel himself out yes. of the thing. Is that, is that like a thing? Can that happen? I mean, I'm probably, it probably can't be successful like it was in The in the Martian, but is that like a thing? If you were to poke a hole, would you propel yourself? Uh, so, man. <laughs> so there's definitely some Hollywood aspects to that. Yeah. No doubt imagine. about it. Yes, yes. But, yes, in theory, uh, you have a pressurized suit. You've got two primary oxygen tanks and then you have a secondary oxygen tank that holds just in itself oh, about 6,000 pounds of oxygen uh, 6,000 pounds of pressure of oxygen mm-hmm. so if you have a hole and you're pushing out air even if it's a low force it will get that body moving now I can't tell you that's gonna fly you to a different spacecraft <laughs> like <laughs> like in, in the movie yeah, but it would be some level of propulsion and it would help you out that is uh, so cool yeah. all right Cool. I just love that movie. That's why I keep bringing it's it up. It's a great up. movie. It's, it's a good one. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Les, thank you so much for coming on. This was so interesting, but I'm sure we did not hit all of the points about spacesuits. There's a lot more to this My topic. huge binder wasn't used. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you do, if you're listening and you do have questions, make sure to submit them. Stay tuned till uh, after the little ending music credits here, and then uh, we'll talk, talk about where you can submit some ideas, and maybe we'll do a spacesuits number two episode. Who knows? I'm sure there's uh, there's more we can talk about. So thanks thanks again, Les, and uh, stick around for more. On thanks for having spaces. me, Gary. No problem. All right. Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Les Padilla about spacesuits. If you want to know more about everything spacesuits, just go to nasa.gov slash suitup. We got a nice reference there for all different kinds of spacesuits, including the EMUs, um, mainly what we talked about today. Otherwise, you can go to nasa.gov slash ISS to learn about everything going on aboard the International Space Station. And just this past month, in October, we had three spacewalks where astronauts were going out in the EMUs uh, to do conduct spacewalk and maintenance on the outside of the station. You can also find all this information on in, on social media, so just go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know this, right? We talk about it all the time. International Space Station accounts on whatever um, uh, social media platform you like. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. On Facebook, Inst- International Space Station. On Twitter, it's at space underscore station. And Instagram is I- at ISS. 
And in the beginning, you can see that um, Aliyup actually suggested the topic for this episode. And we're listening to everything you have to say. So just use the, ast- the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform, and we'll um, uh, submit an idea for maybe something you'd like to hear about or a question you'd like to answer, or maybe you'd like to focus an entire episode on one specific topic. So we'll make sure to uh, look at those ideas and, and, and find the right person to bring on the show. Just make sure to mention it's uh, for HWAP, H-W-H-A-P. Houston, we have a podcast. This podcast was recorded on April 13th, 2017. Thanks to Alex Perryman, John Stoll, and Matt McKenzie. And thanks again to Les Padilla for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.